Shabbat Shalom. Well, David's always uh, so gracious in his introductions. Thank you, David. Um, and as you mentioned, I'm delighted my, my cousin Jeff is here and Tatiana, his beautiful wife. So um, as David said, we have, my wife and I have two ministries, uh, discipling next-gen Israelis to help them become effective cultural agents of cultural transformation in the, embedded in the culture in Israel, and a ministry to the special needs Believing communities. We have, we have a Down syndrome son. So if any of you would like to get our e-letter, if you don't, I'm going to just pass this around. You can just bring it, send it back up front uh, when we're done. It can maybe some, just pass it around. Thank you. Because I have to, excuse me, uh, leave early today. But uh, uh, we've entered a, a new year and um, a new decade. So um, as you can see, I'm titling this message, Looking Back Will Help Us See Forward with 2020 Vision. So it's always good to take stock of our walk with God, and especially as we hit this juncture of a new year and a new decade, who knows what God's going to do in the 20s. Um, you think just a few, I was thinking, you know, just a few decades ago, uh, who would have foreseen that communism would have fallen? And so in this decade ahead of us, we're not sure how he's going to shake the earth, what he's going to do for his kingdom and for the advancement of his, his, uh, his glory. But um, we need to be prepared, and we need to be encouraged, and we need to uh, make sure that we're going to uh, run our race well. So I want to take you on a little bit of a journey with uh, a walk to a, uh, calling it to a graveyard. We'll take a look at a, a tombstone, maybe just to quickly pass a few, and then we'll stop at one and uh, read the epitaph, the inscription. Uh, so I'm talking here about uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, we're going to... Um, Walk through, I'll mention some of the inscriptions, uh, but we're going to focus on just one of them. And we're going to see that uh, these saints that came before us, and that we're in continuity with them, um, they might have looked very strange to the world, but they were uh, connected to a heavenly GPS, I'm calling it, okay? Because they believed the promises of God, and that's what uh, motivated their lives. That's what guided their lives. So just real quick, the epistle to the Hebrews, this amazing letter or sermon. Um, when I was a young believer, I was a year old in the Lord, um, back in the early 80s. And um, my late dad, of blessed memory, who I believe is with the Lord, uh, picked me up one day. I was a year old in the Lord, as I just said. And he took me to this sister's house. And um, I'd never met her before, sister in the Lord. And my dad wasn't a believer yet at the time. But uh, God used him. He dropped me off. I went up. The sister looked at me. And she said, you need to read the epistle to the Hebrews every day. <laughs> she thought that because I'm a Jewish believer. Well, I probably would be, would be better off had I taken her, her counsel, but I, I can't say the times I've read it, it has encouraged and blessed me. And so real quick, the uh, context we get from the author, from chapter 10, verse 32, I'll just read from there. Uh, here we have uh, the background to this group where the author says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. So they'd obviously been through a hard time when they came to the Lord. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. That's his exhortation to this group. 
Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And um, this great epistle uh, sets the basis of the walk of these saints, which we're going to be looking at. Um, but let me just mention um, that basis before we look at their lives. It's, it's chapter 11, verse 1, where the author tells us, faith is the confidence, okay, I grew up probably besides reading, you know, Hebrew and um, the Greek, the uh, King James. So I'm, I'm used to faith is the substance. It can also be translated that way. The substance or the confidence of things that we hope for, okay, the substance that makes them real, okay, or the confidence, we believe that it's a hope, it's out there, but it's present if we believe that it's the promise of God. And we have also the assurance about things we can't see. I can see you sitting out there. I know I'm in this congregational space and uh, see your faces. And those are with my natural eyes. You know, with my spiritual eyes and yours, God has called us to be able to see the things of the Spirit that he's promised us in his word and that he's promised us according to our calling in God. So this epistle, just again, uh, generally speaking, is telling these saints they have a better rest since they've come to faith in Yeshua. Aren't you glad Yeshua came into your life this morning? So if you're enjoying that better rest, if you're not, you need to experience that today. The better promises and covenant compared to the Hebrew Bible, as great as they are, and they foresee these promises and covenant. A better sacrifice, amen, and a better high priest, of course. So uh, the message to them was don't go back, whoever they were, to Judaism without the Messiah. Hang in there with the Messiah, and you will be rewarded. Amen? And so um, these saints from the Hebrew Bible are waiting for us now to run our race, because we're going to see that uh, they won't inherit their promises until we join them, and we inherit them together. So I'm just going to give a quick, as I said, I'm using the imagery of walking through a graveyard, and you can see inscribed on each of the tombstones of these saints, God's stamp of approval, God's inscription about this is how they ran their race. This is how I've commended their, their life. We want to have that on our, on our tombstone as well. Amen. So just real quick, I'm going to just, um, walk through. I think I just have the names on the PowerPoint, but you know the chapter. You know your Hebrew Bible. So by faith, Abel pleased God through his offering. Okay. And, um, it was because of the righteous life that stood behind that offering that pleased God. Um, going on from there, Enoch, Chanuch, he walked so close to God, so close with God, that he just skipped death. He just walked into the presence of God. After a good quiet time, I'd say, man, God just took him into his presence, and he was no more. By faith, of course, Noah built an ark when it hadn't rained yet. Okay, we have to exert our imagination to think about how foolish he was willing to look for God. Now, we're going to come back to Abraham today, do a bit of a deep dive on Abraham. But by faith, Isaac blessed his sons, okay, Jacob and Esau. Um, generational blessing there. By faith, Jacob blessed his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Manasseh, and he prophesied concerning their future. And by faith, Yosef, Joseph prophesied about Israel coming out of Egypt. By faith, Moses left the king's palace um, in Egypt and celebrated the first Pesach, the first Passover, the blood of the lamb. So um, that's just a quick overview. It's a great chapter to go back to. Maybe you can do that in your quiet time. But 
the author tells us it's a really one long sermon, okay? He says in verse 32 of chapter 11, And what more shall I say? He's already said a lot. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Can you believe that? I just skipped over David's life. But thank God we have First and Second Samuel. So um, I don't have that much time this morning either. So we're going to focus in on one of these saints and read that commendation of God on his life. And that's going to be um, the shining example of Abraham. Okay, So that would be in verses 8 to 12. And here we have the summary of Abraham's life. And of course, Sarah is mentioned alongside. So by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So incredible life, of course, uh, belongs to our, the forefather of our faith, and we could, you know, you can camp out weeks on Abraham's life, but we're just, I'm going to um, focus on two of the most amazing aspects of his life. The first is his obedience to leave his wider family and his home. Um, we know according to Genesis, the passage uh, we all know so well from Genesis 12, Bereshit Yudbet, Lech Lecha, God commands him, going you shall go, uh, go from your country, from your people, from your father's household, which is no simple thing to just pack up and leave, right? According to Jewish tradition, they were uh, idol worshippers, of course, in modern-day Iraq. Um, and um, by the Ur of Chaldees and the Euphrates River, the source of life in this amazing urban center with all its markets, he simply uh, obeyed and went to a land God said that I will show you. He didn't even know where he was going. It was amazing obedience. Um, and that's because he, his whole life was directed by his GPS, right? His God positioning system, which we all need to make sure that we're connected to. So, um, with the natural eye, it didn't look like he received much, right? If you read the narratives, Genesis, Bereshit, uh, he got a cave to bury his wife in. That was with the natural eye, but with his eyes of faith, he fully believed that he inherited the whole land. He walked to and fro the whole land, believing he was his first prayer walk, we could say, right in the land, believing that it was his and it was going to be given to his descendants. And even more to the point, he believed that he was journeying to the city of God as he walked. Amen? Now, I'm going to focus on the second outstanding aspect of his life, and that's, of course, when he was about 100 years old, blowing out 100 birthday candles. Uh, Okay? Um, He... uh, was told that he was going to father a son, even as we read, and I'm going to read some more scriptures. His body was not capable of doing that. Hebrews 11:12 uh, says, his body was good as dead, as far as his reproductive ability uh, went. And Paul picks this up. I'll just jump over to Romans, and we'll come back to Hebrews. But in Romans 4, we read in verse 18 to 20, Paul says in Romans 4:18, against all hope, Abraham in hope. Have you ever been there in your walk with God? That hoping against hope when you can't see where the, how God's going to fulfill the promise, but you know He's spoken to you. You know He's gifted you. You know He's anointed you. You know He's, He's given you a word to walk on. 
and yet you have to do it against hope sometimes. Believe, he believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And this is the essence of our walk with God here, verse 21, isn't it? Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Amen? That's how we need to walk. Amen? When God gives us a promise, we just, and I know we are, if we know the Lord, are fully persuaded he can do it. We may not know how or when, uh, or sometimes why, but we know he can do it. So um, we read of Abraham's amazing obedience in, back to Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, we're going to read about that test this morning. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So again, this wasn't like sin in his life or things that, you know, he had to get rid of. This was the thing that God had appropriated him for that God had apprehended him for, that God had called him for, and that God had birthed through him, uh, literally through Sarah and through Abraham, uh, the child of promise. And this was the thing, you could say, for, for those of us uh, today, maybe it's our, our ministry, everything God has led us to, to be able to bring to, the, to, to bless this world through our lives. And God is asking him, lay that thing, not the sin. That, of course, he wants to cut out of our lives. Lay that down before me. That's an unbelievable test. So whatever you're going through this morning, be encouraged that that is something most of us can't imagine, that God has asked him to the most, take the most precious thing. It wasn't just precious to him, but represented all that God had worked in his life and put that on the altar. So let's read, read that. Um, Genesis 22, of course, is the background. In Judaism, this, of course, is a huge um, emphasis of a theme, the Akidat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac really the parallel to the cross of Yeshua and the New Covenant. So Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Avraham, Hineni, here I am, Avraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, which of course echoes into the New Covenant, Yeshua being the only son, the beloved son of God. Now he did have, of course, Ishmael through Hagar, but this was the son of promise the only son of promise, your only son whom you love, Isaac, Yitzchak, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And that's an amazing um, event in the history of salvation because, of course, Moriah is also, as Scripture hints at by telling us it was Moriah, but also the Jewish tradition tells us that this was uh, the Temple Mount that he looked up to on that mount. So he was going to, his radical obedience was going to set in motion uh, untold blessing that would come to the world through his being willing to lay down what God had asked him uh, to do, to bind Isaac, by the, basically by the site of the Temple Mount. So verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and looked, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Yitzchak. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out. In verse 4, on the third day, he looks up, he sees the place. In verse 5, he says to his servants, this amazing thing. We're familiar with this. It's amazing though, right? Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there to the mountain. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. 
Okay, And he believed that, as we're going to see. He did believe that. We'll talk about that. So he takes, in verse 6, the wood for the burnt offering and places it on his son Isaac, which to me is like an amazing picture of the cross, right? Here he is, Isaac, with the wood on his shoulders, about to be sacrificed. Uh, I'm sure the rabbis would go crazy when they come to the Lord with those kind of midrashim, right? And he, carried him, he, he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. So there they are, him carrying the fire and the knife and Isaac with his cross of sorts. As the two of them went on together... Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Avi, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Um, you know, he's noticing something's wrong here. He's used to doing sacrifices. Um, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham didn't just try to pull one on him to get him to obey. He said again what he believed. God himself will provide the lamb. Amen? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The two of them went on together. When they reach the place, Abraham builds the altar, arranges the wood, binds Isaac. Verse 10, he reached out his hand. Most of us have seen the you know, Rembrandt-type paintings. He reached out his hand to um, slit uh, you know, the neck of Isaac. But the angel of the Lord calls out from heaven, Avraham, Avraham. And then he's, God speaks through him. He says, Hineni, in, the, in verse 12, um, God speaks and says, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld him from me. So I already say, you know, as we head out in this new year and this new decade, if there's anything we're holding on to, let's let it go, because that's how God's going to bring blessing. Amen? So just uh, God has this holy moment with Abraham. Nobody's around except the angels. Uh, and uh, again, if you're going through a, a time with the Lord that's a deep time of testing, uh, it's a holy thing. Don't take it lightly. You have no, no uh, you know, God may do above and beyond all we can imagine, as Scripture says, through our lives, because we've taken a step of hidden suffering with him, of hidden obedience with him. So Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he sees this ram caught by its horns. He goes over to the ram and sacrifices it as a burnt offering instead of his son, in the place of his son. And Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so uh, Hebrews eleven eighteen again, back to Hebrews, tells us this. Um, even though God, Hebrews eleven eighteen, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac we read that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, okay, that even if he did have to sacrifice Isaac, God could raise him from the dead. He would bring him back from the mountain. And so in a manner of speaking, the author tells us, he did receive a type again, pointing to the resurrection. He did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now, um, I think it's amazing as well that God gave him this revelation to be able to say to his son when he asked him, Dad, you know, Abba, Avi, where's the lamb? And he says this amazing thing. We just don't want to pass over that. He says to him, God will provide the lamb. Amen? Now, even more amazing is what Yeshua himself said once, and I have to jump over to John's gospel for a second, but Yeshua once said this amazing thing about that event we just read. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 56, Yeshua said, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, which is amazing already, that he had a sense of seeing Yeshua's day, but even more amazing is the second half, where he says, He saw it. Abraham saw Yeshua's day, and he was glad. So whether that was Yeshua on the cross, when he, he said, God will provide a lamb, uh, somehow God let him see Yeshua and his day, and he was able to declare God will provide a lamb. So from uh, Abel, where this journey begins in Hebrews 11, the first uh, martyr who uh, said he, his offering pleased God, 
all the way to um, Yeshua and beyond, these saints received their promises that God spoke to them, but only in part because they, they died in faith. Okay, God gave them an assurance that they would receive the fulfillment um, and that they would finish their journey and that they would um, finish their race. He sums it up in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Okay? They lived an amazing life of faith, every one of them. They did not receive the things they promised. Okay? So again, if you're asking God, God, you know, it's getting late. Where is the fulfillment in, in what I'm believing you for? We don't know when that's going to be. For these saints, a lot of them, they died in faith not having received the things God promised. But they only saw them with their eyes of faith, and they welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. And then um, our list of saints ends with their inscriptions from God with this statement in verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. God commends all this great hall of fame, if you will, of these saints that have come before us. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that's you and me, that only together with us they would be made perfect. So they're waiting for us to finish our race. Amen? We're in an incredible uh, place of honor to be able to you know, take the baton. And uh, it's a good time, I think, too, at the beginning of a new year, at the beginning of a new decade, as we walk forward with God and we leave this place today and we live our lives for God, to think about those who've encouraged us in our journey. People who have prayed for us, perhaps, uh, so that we can run this race. And I'll just mention, too, who, who are very meaningful to me in my life, of course, the, the saints in Hebrews 11, reading the, the Bible and, and being instructed by their faith. But um, in my own walk with God, um, I remember I was a believer. I was one-year-old. Um, I mentioned to you a story already. One-year-old in the Lord when I was told I should read this epistle by that sister. But also, at that time, I was one-year-old in the Lord. And um, a sister gave me a call and said, you should come to this meeting tonight, because I think you really need to hear this man speak. I had no idea uh, who it was. But I came and I went. As I said, I was just a new believer. I didn't know who the you know, people of the faith were today. And... Um, we got into the little meeting hall, small little meeting hall, and this man um, got, went up to speak. And I thought, well, that's strange. He doesn't have any shoes, shoes on, you know, and he, and he looks like he's having trouble even walking. Um, and uh, it turns out it was Richard Rumbrand. I didn't really know his story. All I can remember is he preached the gospel, and I was just, you know, my eyes were like silver dollars. I was just like sitting at the back going, what manner of man is this? And I just I came to understand from his story the reason he didn't have shoes on is because they in a prison in Romania for an underground prison for 14 years, they had beaten his feet so, so many times that I guess sometimes he, he just didn't feel he could wear shoes. Um, but the pearls of love for Yeshua that were coming out of his mouth were just um, incredible to me. I'd already thought I was in the faith for a year, but I remember when he gave the altar call, I raced up to the front. I said, like, I want that. I want to be able to love God like you. And um, he lived an incredible life. You know, some of us saw him in later years. And he wrote this amazing book. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It's hard to read. Tortured for Christ. Of course, started a ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs. But so, for example, the type of things he suffered in communist Romania were um, beyond what we can imagine. So it's hard reading, but I'll just um, give you an example of the type of thing we're talking about here. A pastor by the name of Florescu was tortured with red-hot iron pokers and with knives. He was beaten very badly. Then, starving rats were driven into a cell through a large pipe. He could not sleep because he had to defend himself all the time. If he rested a moment, the rats would attack him. 
He was forced to stand for two weeks, day and night. The communists wished to compel him to betray his brethren, but he resisted. Eventually, they brought his 14-year-old son to the prison, began to whip the boy in front of his father, saying they would continue to beat him until the pastor said what they wished. The poor man was half mad. He bored as long as he could. Then he cried to his son, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your beating anymore. The son answered, Father, do me, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a parent. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words. Jesus and my fatherland. The communist enraged fell upon the child and beat him to death with blood spattered over the walls of the cell. He died praising God. Um, and later in his, in his um, book, he tells us that I've seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, torture with red hot iron pokers, in whose throats spoonfuls of salt had been forced, being kept, after, being kept after without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, and praying with fervor for their torturers, for their communists. So an incredible life. He set the bar so high, but those of us who are down far below him can at least be inspired by his walk and what many, until this day, have to go through to walk with the Lord. And then another person that was a huge influence in my life, um, and in my cousin Jeff, so it's sort of prophetic that Jeff's here today, was our, our aunt. Um, so I'll just very briefly mention to you, I became a believer just a little bit before, uh, excuse me, Jeff, and um, I came up, um, this was uh, in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, I came, I'd hitchhiked down from Durban. I came up to Johannesburg, and I told my, my um, I was visiting, my late dad's mother, my grandmother, that I'd become a believer in Yeshua. And she was pretty um, cool about it, I'd say, because, you know, it's not exactly the thing Jewish grandmothers want you to tell them when you come home. And so, but she wasn't happy, but she said, you know, we have a believer in our family that believes in Yeshua. And I was like, wait a minute, in our family? You know, I'm a Cohen, I have Jewish parents on both sides. I'm like... I've never, we have a believer in our family? So I was like amazed. I was a 21-year-old kid. I never heard of this person. And so I was, you know, reading my Bible for the first time, and I hear a knock on the door. Um, open the door, and there's this precious woman, short little woman with white hair, and just beaming, you know, the glory of God on her face. And she goes, hi, honey, I'm your Aunt Maisie. I've been praying for the family for 50 years. She'd been praying, you know, for my late father and Jeff's late father. And she was just a powerhouse for God, this little sweet little Baptist woman, but she'd come around the corner and the demons would take off because she'd bring heaven down when she'd pray. And um, she led untold people, Jewish people, to the Lord, had been pushed downstairs, and Jeff can tell you more stories than me. She once was sitting, we were just talking about it during the worship, Jeff and I. Once uh, she was sitting, after Jeff and I had come to the Lord, Jeff came just shortly after me. Um, so we're all together, you know, Shabbat dinner at his dad's house, Maisie, me and Jeff, believers in Yeshua. And one time she told um, Jeff and I, she goes, oh, Lord, that's what you meant. And we're like, what's she talking about, Jeff and I? She said, well, God had spoken to her um, this word, and she had no idea, you know, what it meant in her life. But the word was, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. And not that Jeff Fryer, Barnabas and Saul by any means, but she goes, that's what you meant, Lord, as she was staring at me and Jeff. And God did use her to consecrate us for him. She answered all our questions, our millions of questions in the Lord, and we came to faith. And uh, she came to my wedding in, in Israel, and the Lord took her home to glory. And, and uh, I, I'm sure she's very close to the throne of God. But uh, Jews for Jesus put out a book on her life not so long ago, Dared to Believe. So you can maybe find it on the Internet, and it's, it's, it's worth taking a look at. So think about this year as you head out into the new year. 
These saints who've come before us, you know, we have a huge mantle that's gone before us that um, definitely we're riding on the shoulders of giants that we want to, you know, be faithful to whatever God's called us to do. I don't know what your gift is. I know my cousin's an evangelist. I'm a teacher primarily, a discipler. And um, whatever your gift is God's given you, use it for him. Consecrate it for him as we head into this new year, as we head into this new decade. And um, think about the people who've prayed for you to get you where you are. Okay, some you'll never know about till you get to heaven. But I know some people who definitely sown into my life. And the list ends appropriately with none other than Yeshua himself. Amen? So, of course, if you've been to the garden tomb um, in Jerusalem by the old city, uh, or even if you just read the Gospels, you know that on the epitaph of Yeshua, uh, as far as the garden tomb being the site goes, it says, there's a little sign there, he's not here. Amen? He is risen. Amen. So in Hebrews 12.1, the author exhorts us with these uh, amazing exhortation after we've heard the list of all the saints who've come before us and received the commendation of God for their walk with God. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Amen. So we can ask God to do that as we're going to pray in a minute. Throw off anything that's going to, we don't want anything to hinder our, our race with God, do we? And any sin that so easily entangles. And we want to run into this new year, into this new decade with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. We want to fix our eyes on Yeshua, amen? The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So if you stand with me and allow me to pray for you, um, let's pray together. Um, just maybe lift your, open your heart, lift your hands, whatever you want to do to God. But let's just give him this year, this new year we're in, this 2020 year, this 20, dec- 20 decade, our lives. And uh, take this opportunity to gratefully remember those who've come before us, the price that they paid that we could be here in the faith today. And um, the responsibility we have to um, run our race because they're waiting for us. Amen. So, Father God, we just thank you. We present ourselves before you on this altar this morning. Lord, as you tell us to also in Romans 12, to place ourselves on the altar before you. So you can consecrate our our lives, God. And Lord, we just want to give you uh, this new year, this new decade we're heading out into. And we ask you, God, to connect us, God. Let us be connected to to the God-positioning system that you run, God. Father, I know you activate it by faith. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's, it's a deep trust in a person that we've come to know, that he is faithful, that you are faithful, God, to fulfill all you've promised in our lives. And God, we want to um, declare we believe that this morning. We ask you, Lord, if we um, are in any ways out of your will, God, um, just using that GPS analogy, uh, of course, it's the Holy Spirit. If you, just take away our peace, God. Take away your peace if we're, if we're out of your will. So you can recalibrate us. We want to be GPS positioned for this new year. God, we want to be in the right place. We want to be in the right spiritual place, the right physical places you want us to be in, those divine appointments you have for us. Father God, I know there are evangelists like my cousin here who there's many waiting to receive the Lord this this year from, from, from your obedience, or those that are waiting to be discipled or waiting to be helped or waiting uh, to receive the gifts that God has given you. But, Lord, whatever it is that you require of us, Father, as we read of Isaac, Abraham being willing to lay Isaac on the altar, we just lay our lives on the altar, and we say, Hineni, here we are, God. Father, we love you as we declared in worship this morning. We love you. 
As we declare the Shema as well, God, we declare, God, you are, you are one, and, and we ask you to use us this year. Take our gifts, take our lives, take uh, whatever we have, God, our possessions, and um, consecrate. we consecrate it to you. Lord, let us see answered by fire on the altar, God. We want this to be a year of breakthroughs, God, to see prodigals come home, to see miracles of provision, miracles of healing, even as we heard testimonies this morning, miracles of salvation, Father God, and so we just um, ask you to use us, watch over us, and be glorified through us this year in Yeshua's precious name. Amen. Shabbat shalom.